0: TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Every week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our lives the rest of the week. We explore those implications together, right here on Outside the Walls. If I'm honest, I would have to say I never expected that I would ever really like texting. Um, I, I, I much prefer picking up the phone and having a conversation with someone. Of course, first time I ever had a cell phone, I was in grad school and I had that little Nokia that would never die. Right. And so if you wanted to text and of course I had the T9 productive text, so it was pretty cool. But if you wanted to text, you had to hit the button so many times, like you had to hit the number five until you got to the letter that you wanted. And if it was the third letter in, well, you were going to be t- tapping for a while to, to make anything remotely uh, intelligible. And I'm one of those people, I refuse to use, the, I still refuse to use text speak. I'm not going to say, how are you with the letter R and the letter U. It's just, to me, it's uh, a little ludicrous. And so um, for me, I, I never thought I would really get into texting. And more so, I never, never imagined that I would ever use an emoji. What is the purpose of an emoji? right? I'm not going to do that. That's, that's crazy talk. But my, my millennial wife has dragged me to the dark side and I will use the the choice, occasional choice emoji if the text warrants it. And, and lastly, I never, oh, I was never going to use those animated GIFs. And yes, it should be pronounced GIFs. I was never going to use those uh, in place of communication, but look what I have become. Right. Look what we all have become, as there is this desire to be maybe a little bit cheeky, maybe a little bit fun, uh, but to react to everything. Right. We've got our uh, our reaction gifs lined up and ready for someone to say something or to post something on Facebook so that we can have our funny retort and respond. Right. We like that um, that interaction. We like the 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 satisfaction that we get out of. Uh, hopefully giving someone else a little bit of a chuckle in that reaction gif and uh, i find so often that our culture has begun to uh to really train us to uh to condition us to be responders we have to respond uh you see it all the time wherever scandal breaks whether it be uh, on twitter or some you know unknown blog posts something about some politico uh, there's this rush, this almost visceral urge to respond immediately. And nobody takes the time to really contemplate or to look at broader contexts or to think things through. And this is a fault of all sides. This is not whether you are a politically conservative or politically liberal or somewhere in between. It's this, uh, I'm going to call it the smartphone generation urge to uh, to immediately respond, get instant gratification for us, throwing out our opinion, and we feel justified. Well, this um, this to me, if I could sum it up in a in a scriptural picture, feels like the story of Saint Peter in the garden, the night that Jesus was betrayed. And we have the crowds who come and they surround the apostles, and they come and they question Jesus, and they've got their their torches, and this mob has come to uh, arrest Jesus and take him away. And of course, you read the story, and depending on what gospel you're reading, it's perfectly clear that Jesus had things in hand, right? They said, uh, we're looking for... Uh, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And of course, when he says, I am he, he uses the the name for God. I am. He uses that word, which can't be uttered. And they tumble back on themselves. They just kind of fall dumbstruck at hearing this. And whether that is uh, a supernatural thing or whether it's a, a just a visceral reaction to hearing that name uttered, they they fall back. It's quite obvious to me that Jesus is in complete control of this situation. And of course, to you and I who are standing on this side of history, and we know about the cross and we know about the resurrection, that's, it's easy, easier said than done, I get that. Um, but Peter, in the midst of all this, uh, earlier in the night, um, Jesus asked about swords, right? And they said, we have these two swords. And Jesus says, it is enough, right? And so th- there's this understanding that they're gonna be armed, when they go out to the garden, so they've got these swords, and Peter's got it. And the crowds come up, and they start to take Jesus away. And Peter, who has just now said at the uh, at the Last Supper, "Lord, I will die with you," this is right before Jesus tells him that he's gonna he's gonna um, deny him three times. He says, "No, Lord, I would I would die with you." Well, here is what Peter had in mind, because as they start to take Jesus away, Peter pulls out that sword, and he reacts. He reacts with, uh, without understanding the broader context of what God is doing. He reacts with all of the information he has available in the only way that he knows how, and he lashes out, and he, uh, he swings the sword, and he is an awful aim. <laughs> he takes off the ear of the servant of the high priest, Malchus, right? cuts that ear right off, and Jesus, again, in complete control of this situation, kneels down and picks up the ear and looks at Peter in the eye and says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he takes the the ear off the ground of this person who has come to help arrest Jesus. And he puts it back on his head and he heals him right in the middle of this situation. I mean, talk about cognitive dissonance, right? This guy has just now told his uh, his disciple not to kill you and he's healed you. And yet I still have to go and turn you in. But there's a lesson in this for us. The lesson is that we have to be careful how we respond to make sure that we are not fighting against the will of God when we react. And there's only one surefire way to do this, only one way to really know uh, that we are reacting appropriately, and that is to start with prayer that prayer has to be the beginning and the foundation of our understanding of the Christian life. It has to be a continual relationship that informs us and gives us the ability to react quickly, but only in a heart united to God in prayer are we going to react with the will of God. To explore this further, we're gonna be talking with Joe and Anna Heschmeier. Joe Joe's one of our longtime favorite guests, worked for Holy Family School of Faith out in Kansas City, Kansas, we're going to talk about the importance of prayer and how it can help us in responding to all manner of situations. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. Inside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. And today we're talking about the importance of not just thinking before we speak, of delaying our reactions long enough to ponder, but actually taking these things to prayer, the importance and the primacy of prayer and being led by the Holy Spirit. We're joined today to have this conversation with Joe Heschmeyer, our longtime and many-time guest. Uh, he is the, the Instructor and Interim Program Director for the Catholic Spiritual Mentorship Program at the Holy Family School of Faith, schooloffaith.com, there in Kansas City, Kansas. We're joined also today for the very first time by Anna Heshmeyer, the only woman in the world who could both keep up and put up with Joe Heshmeyer. She uh, <laughs> is a former employee of Catholic Answers and is just brilliant in her own right, currently working on a therapy degree uh, glad to have you both here today. Thank you
1: very
2: much. Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: I had this, this pastor growing up who is not Catholic, but he always talked about, I don't want to get ahead of that pillar of fire, that pillar of cloud, because that's when you get lost in the wilderness. Uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm following. And the only way to do that is to keep our eyes fixed on it and to spend the time and orient ourselves toward that, that pillar that's supposed to be leading us.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good image for it. Um, I, when, as you were saying that, I was actually struck by a similar thing when John, the beloved disciple, runs to the tomb on Easter morning, but then he waits for Peter, the representative of the church, to kind of get there. But there's this thing like, you know, John is the prototype of theologians. He ponders our Lord in prayer. He has this deep relationship of love, and he has uh, most theologically rich gospel and letters but he doesn't get ahead of the church. There's this sense of docility and patience. And I think something analogous is true uh, when we're talking about prayer, that we might have what seems like a great idea, but if, if we're not getting a good green light from God, or if he doesn't seem to be confirming it, or if we're not even bothering to check with him, uh, we're running too quickly and we need to we need to stop and wait.
0: You know, we, we get this idea that... Um well, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what I need to do. And then I'm going to pray and ask God to bless it. And that's kind of backwards putting the, the, the cart before the horse.
2: Yeah. Uh, One thing that comes to my mind too, is something that kind of was a light little bit of that light bulb moment for me when I first read it, Uh, something John Paul II said, which was in order to do, we must first learn to be. And then he says, and by that, I mean, we must learn to be in the company of Jesus in adoration. So, so I think for me, it was kind of like that. Like, you know, I tend to think like I, I do things, I go and see if God's going to verify them somehow in prayer. So that really changed how I looked at it. Kind of like that paradigm of it is, no, you you can't do unless you know how to be.
0: Well, you know, we, we think that I can never spend that much time in prayer, I can't, I can't go spend an hour in adoration. Do you know how full my day already is? Uh, In fact, we were talking with the daughters of St. Paul. Uh, I don't remember which one of them, but there was a time when they didn't have enough hours in their day and they were doing an hour of adoration and they went to blessed James Alberione and said, uh, Hey, the day's too full. We, something has to give. He's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, That you're right. This is very full. You need to add an extra half an hour of adoration. (laughs) Exactly. And somehow all all the work got done because when we center ourselves in prayer, first we see the, I think, proper priorities. We see what is really important to God, but then our minds and our hearts are clearer for the work that we're doing. And we are aided by supernatural grace to be able to get everything done. Yeah. I think part of it is
1: figuring out what we're doing, all of the work we're doing for. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, it's like, well, I got to drive the kids to soccer practice. I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. You say, okay, what is the point of that? Like, what's the benefit you're getting out of that long term? And compare that to the benefit you're getting long term out of praying. And which one is going to matter a thousand years from now? Uh, one's going to matter a million years. From, you know, like, which one is actually going to have eternal consequence? And you can structure the day a little differently. It may be that the day is busy because you've filled it with things that it doesn't need to be filled with. Um, over things that it ought to be filled with. But it's also true that uh, when you pray, those other things are often just taken care of. They, they, they don't weigh as heavily. So you find you're able to do more with, you know, literally less time. Uh, it, it just goes by a little quicker. Uh, one of the verses we were talking about before, uh, before we came on the show, is that the Lord pours out his blessings upon his beloved while they slumber. So there's this real sense that if you put the kingdom of God first, all else will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. That's the promise of our Lord. And the more we trust in that promise, I think the more we'll find that to be true. We're never going to get to the end of our life and say, I, my big regret is that I prayed too much.
2: But I guess the thing is that you might, if you don't actually take those those moments of prayer, and I don't think it always has to be a long time. Um, like if you're, starting a really busy day, but you still want to make some time for prayer, even like sort of an intense 10 minutes could do the trick to change that entire day and to kind of make you have a lot less anxiety about maybe five of the things on your list that you thought were totally urgent and had to get done, like in the next 24 hours, um, that it just really could even a short amount of prayer could really reorient you.
1: Yeah. I think related to that, um, sort of the types of things that we're doing with prayer, A lot of times when we talk about prayer in this context, it's getting the green light or the red light for a decision or maybe taking the decision to God. Taking decisions to God, especially before you come up with your own scheme, is great. It's really important. But it needs to flow out of a higher place in prayer, which is a a prayer of kind of recognition, a prayer of like knowing who you are before God and who God is before you. Uh, If you do that, you're grounding your identity. You're constantly being reminded of who you are. And it's only when you know who you are that you can can know how to behave in a situation. Like if if you woke up tomorrow and discovered you were like the, the prince of some country, your behavior would probably have to change, right? So action is rooted in identity. And prayer is a constant way of making sure your identity is rooted in Christ and not getting caught up in the ephemeral things of life. Because otherwise, you'll you'll find your identity is first and foremost an employee or a member of this PTA or a film of life.
0: Yeah. We're talking today with Joe and Anna Heschmeyer about the primacy and the importance of prayer. And I think about Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity. He is the divine Son of God. He is fully human, fully divine, shares all nature with, with the Father, uh, consubstantial, right? And and yet, each time before he goes out and, and does some uh, healing, uh, some big ministry presentation, something that he's doing— it says that he goes away to a lonely place and he prays. And we hear him say, I, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. If, if Jesus, who shares nature with, with the God, has to do this, what makes us think that, that we're going to be able, just in our own intuition, to be able to uh, interact with uh, the people who are around us in a way that, that reflects the Father uh, accurately and, and can actually speak into their lives and, and bring life and grace into their lives if, if Jesus had to actually spend that time in prayer and, and reorient himself and commune with the Father in that way. Yeah, I think the short answer to that question is sin. I mean,
1: this sin, this self-reliance, this sense that, well, we can do it on our own. It's especially, I think you find this especially in small decisions mm-hmm. in life. Uh, we kind of have, when there's a really vexing problem, there's something that's a huge consequence and we don't know what to do. Then we're like, oh yeah, I should ask God. But we treat him sort of, as I've been listening lately to Worcester and Jeeves. Uh, Jeeves. I don't know if you're familiar. Pardon? Jeeves and Worcester. Oh, sorry, Jeeves and Worcester. Uh, and it's about this wealthy kind of idiot who has this brilliant butler. But he always tries to do everything on his own and then finally he asks his butler for advice and some crafty plan is concocted. And he gets out of all these scrapes. We treat God the same way. Like the the brilliant butler. We don't think to ask until kind of the last minute. And well, that's not and it, really a way to approach him. <laughs>
0: and, and isn't that interesting? Because we do, we treat God like he is our servant, who's going to make things easier for us rather than the fact that we are his children. Yeah. Uh, and I, let, me, let me tell you my children and I have a lot of them. Uh, they, they don't wait to try and figure out their own thing before they come to ask help. They're like, dad. Actually, they say mom first, like a million times. And then it's like, you know, you have another parent and he's right there. He's not doing anything. Uh, They, they immediately come. They, they, uh, they have innately wired in them this understanding that they want to be involved and connected. Uh, and so that's how we should be as children. We should be approaching God and saying, okay, God, I'm about to have to go out and deal with people right. I'm about to have to interact with them. I'm about to, I'm about to go to the store and people are going to cut me off in traffic. And I know that I have the the propensity within me to respond, uh, with snap decisions that are not reflective of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, not even to say, Oh, Oh God, teach me how I should respond or, or with a, a specific scenario, like, uh, some major event happens and we say, Ooh, I'm going to have to respond to this. I need to pray. Uh, yes, that's true. But I think even more than that, we need to be praying for all of those responses that we don't take the time to think about needing to pray for the little responses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's true because you don't always
1: have five seconds or five minutes or five hours to formulate your response before it happens. Well, Someone cuts you off in traffic. You're not saying, give me an hour to pray about this, and I'm going to have the perfect response for that driver. It's right. either coming out of your mouth or it's not. <laughs> and in those kind of situations, that's why it needs to be grounded in prayer first. Um, I think to the extent that you're living in that spirit of prayer, when like dedicated times of prayer, and then just mindfulness of God throughout the day, those snap decisions, those things where you're genuine, genuinely on the spot, I think they go a lot better.
0: But well, you know, the other day uh, we we crossed over to uh, over the water to go to the mountains on the other side, and um, I made the mistake of uh, of not putting in my map where I needed to go before we left uh, <laughs> on, in the phone, and so we got over there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to type it in now. Well, there was no signal over on the peninsula. I mean, there was nothing. And so finally we found a little spot and got it. But it's like prayer is almost, in a sense, uh, charging the battery beforehand or putting the destination in the GPS ahead of time so that when those times of, of crisis come, <laughs> it's already in there, right? There's, there's battery in the, in the, uh, in the device, the, there's gas in the tank, the, whatever the case is, whatever the metaphor you want to use. There's a reservoir there from which to pull uh, to be able to continue to move forward,
1: yeah. My first spiritual director, uh, the saintly Father Arnie Panula, uh, rest in peace, gave a he gave the gas tank analogy. He said, when you have a busy day and you cut out prayer, it's like when you have a long road trip in front of you and decide to skip the gas station. Mm-hmm. That it seems like it's going to save time, but then a little ways down the road, you're going to really be regretting that decision. And I found that to be true. Like the days when I have uh, shortchanged God in prayer. Uh, where I've had the opportunity to pray and, and haven't taken the most of that I've seen the consequences of that and and the day hasn't gone as well as it could have
2: yeah 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 it seems like it's part of sort of that constant struggle to not be the master of your own world in a way and to not to approach God kind of with this really consumerist mentality of just making him fit into your life when you need him it's kind of I think what, what you were getting out with the butler analogy, but um, to really remember, like, we are creatures, everything is given, and we're fitting into his plan. Mm-hmm. So um, needing to stop at the gas station and fill up is is you figuring out how to fit into his plan.
0: We're talking today about the importance and the primacy of prayer, talking with Joe and Anna Heschmeyer together for the first time here on Outside the Walls. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. Why don't you tell me about a time that prayer made a difference in your interactions in your day? There's much more to come right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today we're talking about the importance and the primacy of prayer, the importance of praying before we make our decisions. We're talking today with Joe and Anna Hashmeyer out of Kansas City, Kansas. He, uh, the Instructor and Interim Program Director for Catholic Spiritual Mentorship at the Holy Family School of Faith, schooloffaith.com. Uh, she is working on her master's in marriage and family therapy. Is that right? And uh, is a former employee of Catholic Answers. The only woman that could both put up and keep up with Joe <laughs> Heschmeyer. That's your new title, Anna. By the way, great! Um, I approve. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about the importance of starting that day or filling up that reservoir with prayer uh, to make sure that it that we have the spirit with us and we have the the um, the capacity to move in the spirit when it's needed. So when we get uh, someone who's responding to us online or when we get someone who's responding to us in face to face in a conversation where it'd be perfectly natural to, um, to take things at face value and just maybe snap. And yet through prayer, through that, the the centering of the grounding or the anchoring or whatever metaphor you want to use, we're able to see, that person or that situation as God sees it and respond in a way that brings glory to him rather than uh, try to put a notch in our belt for winning an argument. So both of you have been involved in apologetics work, uh, Catholic Answers and through shamelesspopery.com and uh, the the cath pod and and many others. Uh, That's kind of been uh, maybe even the way that you first connected together. Um, There is a tendency for those kinds of conversations to go very quickly. And, and if you're not careful, (laughs) I say this, no, certainly not from experience. Right. But if you're not (laughs) careful, those things can kind of become a runaway train. And it's like, when did we, when did we get to this point? How did I miss the last station? Um, Mm -hmm. Because you end up in this, this need to respond quickly and accurately. Tell me a time, give me a story of, a time that you really noticed the difference in the way that you responded because you had spent time in prayer, either that day or about that specific situation.
1: Uh, can I give you a bad example first?
0: <laughs> Please. Uh, how, how about you give me a bad example and Anna, you give me a good example. and that, that- <laughs> She can probably also give you some bad examples from my life too, if you need. <laughs> uh,
1: so a bad example, this is a time that I did it badly. I'll have a good one after you. Um, but, I, back when I was living in D.C., this was maybe seven years ago now. There was, I mean, I pretty recently started the Shameless Popery blog. It may have actually been more than seven years. And there was a pretty lively debate in the comments. And I used to be much more involved in the comments in the early days. Uh, And I found myself missing noon mass because I was replying to someone. And it was a real cause for reflection. I remember taking it to my spiritual director afterwards. Because I was just like, oh, here's what happened. And it was like very clear to both of us. I'd been trying to do it out of my own strength and my own gifts rather than uh, having it grounded in actual conversation with God that then flows forth. And frankly, if, if there is a conversation where if you wait 30 seconds to reply, you've missed the boat, that's probably not a conversation you need to be getting involved in on the internet. I mean, it's probably... So much driven by emotion and immediacy that mm-hmm. nothing will be lost if you go to prayer, other than like uh, uh, the French called a bon mot, like this great little phrase or whatever. Like you can have this real sense <laughs> of "ha ha, I really stuck it to them with the perfect, uh, well-timed comment," but that's not coming from God. And I think if we think about it, we we kind of know that He's not saying you need to skip mass so you can be on the internet.
0: Right. Someone is wrong on the internet. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Stop the world. Well, can I give an example
2: from um, my work as a therapist? Sure. My more much more immediate experience. Um, so, you know, I am seeing clients and many of them are not um, coming, you know, as people of faith overtly, they're not asking to get into, you know, religious or Christian conversations necessarily. But I'm always aware of, you know, wanting to come with a posture that is Christ-like, that really I want to be Christ to these clients, whether they know that or not, or recognize that as such or not. Um, But as a beginner, I'm often like very anxious about getting in there and doing everything just right and saying just the right thing. So there, I do often catch myself um, kind of in this really reactive stance of What am I going to do with what my clients bring into the room? How am I going to fix this problem for them? Um, And so uh, the more that I'm, and this happened recently, actually, where often when I'm on my drive to work, which is like 45 minutes, I will play some sort of therapy um, podcast or video or something, and I'm getting all ready for it. And that is helpful for me. But there are times when I go and I realize I haven't really just given this day to God yet, or I haven't really asked him to be the one working through me. I haven't asked him to make me an instrument. I'm acting like I'm the commander of this ship. So there was a day recently where I decided I wasn't going to listen to all of my usual stuff on the way to work. And I was going to pray instead and just, it really did just slow me down. And I I was able to, to go into the sessions with, um, much less anxiety really of my own and just sort of like I was able to just be present to my clients and I felt like my sessions went better that day. Right. Like things started coming out that I think I might've cut off otherwise. I think I was actually able to be better at what I, you know, wanted to be good at by becoming more receptive, taking that time to get more receptive. Yeah. So
0: We're talking today with Joe and Anna Heschmeyer about the primacy of prayer. And we were talking about prayer slowing you down. And as you said that, this picture came to my mind. Have you ever seen the movie Over the Hedge? No. Oh, you're missing out. There's this squirrel who's really hyper. And at one point in time, he (laughs) drinks caffeine and the whole world slows down. And uh, as everything chaotic is happening, it's almost uh, like that superhero Quicksilver that he's able to just kind of wander through, meander through the park and moving at the speed of light and being able to see things and correct them and uh, set things in order. And it's almost like prayer does that, that it it slows us, not so much slows us down as much as it makes the world a little bit clearer and slows it down so that our leisurely pace is able to keep up with the madness that's going around. Did you say that the movie involved him taking caffeine to have that happen? C- caffeine is giving a squirrel an energy drink. <laughs> See, I think that's
1: such a good distinction between the world's solution and God's solution. Because the world's solution is that you need to speed up more, mm-hmm. that you need to be faster and faster and faster so that you can take care of everything in your day. And God's solution is you need to slow down and be with me yeah. and everything slow down accordingly. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk uh, this idea of slowing down. Let's talk about the different kinds of prayer, uh, because I know that I can sit there and I can say, uh, Lord Jesus, I want you to be a part of this day. Uh, I need your assistance, give me wisdom, give me discernment. I can have all of the, the beautiful prayers that I can come up with in my head. And yet there's something about when I sit down with the office, uh, the, the breviary, and I start reading morning prayer, that I there's this gravity that kind of sucks you back into it um, that I almost feel the physical pull of finding the rhythm with, the office, rather than trying to have God come along and join me, I find myself joining into the prayer of the whole church. And, and then those prayers, those psalms, they stick with me all day long, and they, a, a line here or, or a segment there pops up right when I need it.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, one of the cool things about the office, this is why priests are required to pray it, is it's the prayer of the church. Um, this is something a lot of people don't know. Priests aren't actually canonically required to say mass every day. And I think that all, almost all the good ones do, but it's not a requirement. They are required to pray the office of readings every day. And it's not just for their own personal benefit. It's because it's the prayer of the church and it's the Psalms and it's offering these things to God. And so one of the cool things about it is that the Psalms are sometimes in a very different place than you are emotionally. So right. Friday uh, for night prayer. It's Psalm 88, which is just this incredibly desolate psalm. Think of me having this great Friday, you're like, TGIF, I'm ready for the weekend! And then you pray this prayer, and it ends with my one companion is darkness. <laughs> I mean, it is the most, like, emo prayer. Uh, like, this psalm is just, like, this this incredibly desolate thing. Well, the cool thing about it is that this prayer uh, is tied to uh, Christ's uh, time in captivity in the dungeon of Caiaphas between the evening of Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. And when he's brought before Pilate, he spends the night shackled uncomfortably in a pit. Uh, so in this pit, like it's common to pray, Psalm 88. So it's, it's this really literally like in the depths, in the pit uh, kind of prayer. And so it's a reminder that the the mysteries of the life of Christ are playing out and they're the central heart. Your emotional state is, is important and all of that. It's not the center. And so those times when you have to rejoice and others rejoicing, when you might want to wallow in your own frustrations or, or pain, or the times when you have to share in another's pain, when you might want to just be on your own personal high, it's bringing you out of yourself into the life of the body of Christ and into the mysteries of Christ in a, in a
0: deeper way. Now, one of these other prayers that we can pray when we don't know what to pray or when we can't formulate our words is the rosary, which is largely a meditation. So Anna, talk to us a little bit about your experience of the rosary and and how that can help us as we try to formulate and fill up that reservoir with the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, part of it is hard to explain in terms of its effect because sometimes, I mean, quite honestly, much of the time when I pray it, I don't feel like I'm necessarily praying it well. Or, you know, I don't have my little scriptural rosary out and I'm not like, getting as deeply into the mystery as I want to, but the act of praying it in and of itself, um, is always something that, that kind of grounds me and gives me peace. Um, even if I'm not in a state where I'm able to feel cognitively, like I'm really getting into it. I mean, yesterday, I honestly was saying it on my couch at night after getting home from work. And, um, yeah, so there's just, part of it is just a piece that's hard to even explain, but I mean, I think it's kind of part of the promise of the prayer. Um, and another thing with the rosary that has, um, really helped me in terms of really entering into it as a way of looking at Christ and looking at his life, um, even in times where it's hard to really focus well is again, something I think John Paul II said about, um, asking Mary um, to kind of look with you at the life of Jesus or to ask other saints to, to pray this with you and to help you enter into the life of Jesus in those moments where you don't, yeah, you, you often don't feel like you've got what it takes to do it well. Um, so that becomes a way of kind of drawing in the saints and develop for me personally, it's the personal answer, but that's a way of developing my friendship with the saints and um, and with Mary.
0: And it brings in that, that power, I think, of the Ignatian imagination that uh, now I'm going to look at the mysteries of Jesus' life as if it's not me looking at them, but I'm going to take that view of the saints and what I know about their lives and look at Jesus. Because honestly, the saints are our example. If they can respond well and live a life well, That's because they saw Christ well. And if we can see it through their eyes, so much the better. We're talking with Joe and Anna Heschmeyer today about the primacy of prayer. There's more to this conversation available to those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily lives. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we've been talking with Joe and Anna Heshmeyer. First time to have Anna here on the show. Joe's been on a number of times. Uh, for a long time, he was our Rome correspondent, but now uh, has settled down in Kansas City, Kansas, where he works at the Holy Family School of Faith, fantastic organization. Go take a look at them over at schooloffaith.com. You can also follow Joe's work at shamelesspopery.com. Fantastic blog on apologetics where he goes really in depth on important issues. He's also the co-host of the Catholic podcast. You can find that over at cathpod.com. Cathpod, C-A-T-H-P-O-D.com. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's more to my conversation with Joe and Anna available to all those who support the show through Patreon. We've got a great community of people who help ensure that we can continue to bring you this show week in and week out. And for as little as $5 a month, you could join them and get access to all the extra segments that we produce each and every week. So that's uh, up to five segments a month, depending on whether it's a long month or a short month. Uh, for $5. It can be as little as a dollar per extra segment. Go take a look at it by going over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show Patreon link, and see all the amazing things that we have to offer there, and consider if you might want to be a part of that community. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. As I lay in my sickbed all week long and watched this deadline come closer and closer of being able to have a show ready for you, This scripture just kept coming back to my mind, and it comes from the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Lo, sons are a heritage from the Lord; the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. That reading comes from Psalm 127, and and here is the crux of the matter: We have become skilled at knowing our own minds. We've become skilled at having an answer ready and in responding and reacting to the things that are around us. But these reactions are not always the proper one. In fact, uh, the other scripture that comes to mind comes out of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, and and it starts off right there. Plans are made in human hearts, but from the Lord comes the tongue's response, All one's ways are pure in one's own eyes, but the measurer of motives is the Lord. Entrust your works to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And then skipping down a little bit is that verse that you may be more familiar with that that, uh, people plaster on cups and whatnot. A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We can make plans all day long, but those plans are futile. Those reactions are futile. If we don't start by anchoring ourselves in that relationship with Jesus Christ, anchoring ourselves in prayer, and then responding from that place of communion with Him rather than simply responding out of our own mind. It is from that place of prayer, of that place of communion, that the Christian life really blossoms. It's when we allow the Holy Spirit to be center in our hearts and center in our thought processes and our decision making that all of a sudden the Christian life begins to be very visible to people who are outside of us. Uh, Today's reading from Church History is a beautiful snapshot of that. Uh, It comes from the breviary from yesterday, and it is a homily by a spiritual writer, uh, Anonymous, from the 4th century. Those who have been considered worthy to go forth as the sons of God, and to be born again of the Holy Spirit from on high, And who hold within them the Christ who renews them and fills them with light are directed by the spirit in varied and different ways. And in their spiritual repose, they are led invisibly in their hearts by grace. Let's just stop there for a moment. This assumes that relationship we have been united with Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are counted worthy to be adopted as sons, right? Here we are living the Christian life. And we are filled and renewed. That happens when we stay connected to the source through prayer, right? We're filled and renewed. And then we're led in from our spiritual repose, that place of prayer and rest in God rather than reaction. Were led invisibly in their hearts by grace. Continuing on, at times they are like men who mourn and lament over their fellow men, and pouring forth prayers for the whole human race, they plunge into tears and lamentation on fire with spiritual love for mankind. At other times, they are enkindled by the Spirit with love and exaltation that were it possible, they would clasp in their embrace all mankind without discrimination, good and bad alike. Sometimes they are cast down below all mankind in loneliness of spirit so that they reckon theirs to be the lowest and most abject of conditions. And sometimes they are led by the spirit in ineffable joy. At one time they are like a brave man who puts on the king's full armor and goes down into battle. He fights bravely against the enemy and defeats them. In like manner the spiritual man takes up the heavy arms of the spirit and marches against the enemy, and engaging in battle, tramples the foe beneath his feet. At another time, the soul is at rest in deepest silence, tranquility, and peace, existing in sheer spiritual pleasure and in ineffable repose in a perfect state. Again, the soul is instructed by grace, in a certain understanding in the ineffable wisdom and in the inscrutable knowledge of the spirit on matters which neither tongue nor lips can utter then again the soul becomes like an ordinary man. In such varied ways does grace work within them, and many are the means by which it leads the soul, renewing it according to God's will and training it in different ways, so that it may be set before the Heavenly Father pure and whole and blameless. We too, therefore, must make our prayer to God and entreat in love and in great hope that he may bestow upon us the heavenly grace of the gift of the Spirit. We pray that we too may be guided by that Spirit and that he may lead us into the fullness of divine will and refresh us with the varied kinds of his repose. That by the help of this guidance, exercise of grace and spiritual advancement, we may be considered worthy to attain the perfection of, of the fullness of Christ as the apostle says that you may be filled to the complete fullness of Christ that reading comes from a homily by a spiritual writer anonymous spiritual writer of the 4th century and oh what a treatise that is what what an uh, i mean that's like the brochure for the christian life isn't it and as i as i hear these various and different ways that he's talking about uh, the the warrior saint who is first and foremost grounded in prayer and following the will of God and following the Spirit, the warrior saint, the, uh, the, the one who is embracing all mankind. I've got my saints in mind, right? I've got St. Ignatius of Loyola as that warrior who goes out uh, with the strength of God. I've got St. Francis uh, of Assisi who goes out and wants to embrace all of mankind, the evil and the good. I've got St. Saint, uh, Saint Teresa of Calcutta who sometimes felt as though she was the lowest and most abject. And, and so I have these pictures of these saints who have gone before me who have lived this out, anchored themselves in prayer first and foremost before they reacted so that in their reaction they could react as God would react so that they could be uh, really the fulfillment of what Paul said, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the only way that that can happen for Christ to live in us and to for us to be able to say that in regard to all of our actions is for us to start with that relationship, to start in prayer. And I have to be honest, if I look at my day-to-day life, I, I have to question whether or not I'm there yet, right? Can I say with Paul, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? Have I successfully crucified all of those parts of me that keep me from being like Jesus? And if, I keep coming back to this because it's my era. There was a Protestant musician who is well on his way to becoming Catholic. He was, uh, already had been through RCIA when he was killed in a, in a crash. I believe he'd already gone through the rite of election. And, um, he wrote this song called It's Hard, right, talking about the Christian life. And there's this line in it that I just keep coming back to because I resonate with it so richly. In this song, he says, I do get a little much over-impressed till I think of Peter and Paul and the apostles. I don't stack up too well against them, I guess, but by the standards around here, I ain't doing that awful. <laughs> and, and yet, that's what we're called to. We're called to live the saintly life. And Not the life that surrounds us, the standards around here that allow us to just react and respond and allow our worst impulses out on display for the world to see, rather than catering to our better angels, growing in virtue, founding ourselves in prayer, first and foremost, and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our interactions with those who are around us. This week lets you and I start with prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to take control of the minute decisions we make each day. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher Robin Walker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.